Today's guest is Kenneth Lett. Ken was a previous guest and we spoke about his near-death experience. Ken, thanks for joining me again. I really appreciate you coming back. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Jeff. Glad to be here. My listeners also have questions and I basically break them down into three basic type of questions. One is they would like to know more about what you saw when you were in heaven. Two, they would like to know about your future predictions. And three, they would like to know about entities that you may have seen there. So if you don't mind, let's start with heaven. What did it look like for you? Okay. Well, initially when um, I was pulled up through, after I left the tunnel and I floated up to a cloud-like barrier, um, it was whitish and puffy. Uh, you've heard others describe heaven as being up in the clouds, and it's very, it was very much like that. Uh, and then uh, a distant relative, I believe it was my father's cousin, uh, reached down through that barrier, that cloud, and grabbed me by the shoulders and pulled me up. Hmm. So initially, it looked like it kind of looked like we were standing in clouds. It was kind of hazy initially. It didn't really feel like solid ground, but yet if I wanted to move, I could, but it wasn't like I was using legs. I just sort of had to think I wanted to see or move over to something, and then I would. Um, And as far as speaking... Um, it sure felt like I was using my mouth to speak, but I know I wasn't. Uh, thoughts would come to me into my head and and communicate with me as if I was hearing a voice. And I'm almost certain that when I wanted to say something, my thoughts went out and they could read my thoughts as well. And it felt like I was saying something. Uh, One thing I haven't mentioned before is that um, as a little kid, and I I still identified with with the fact that I was eight years old. I was still, in my mind, in my consciousness, I was a little kid Mm -hmm. still. Um, Children are often looking to adults for confirmation, for an okay to continue, um, that what you're saying is relevant and it's all right to tell your stories, for example. Um, Everything I said up there was accepted and okay. I didn't have any adult tell me now, now that's enough or, um, Oh, you're going too far now. You know, that kind of stuff. It was absolutely everything I was thinking and everything I wanted to say was accepted and loved and appreciated. And I, I even found that one set of my great-grandparents that I met up there, um, they they laughed at a lot of the things that I said. They were joyful. Um, so um, it's, it was almost like I was a bit of a comedian to them. And they got a real kick out of it, you know. And they also happened to be the great-grandparents that um, I know that they appreciated children a lot more than my other great-grandparents who were a little more stern, you know. Um, 
but absolutely everything I said to them was just joyful and it, it made them laugh a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but what did it feel like? What did it look like? Oh gosh, when, when you're in the spirit form yourself and then you're among other spirits and then you're in heaven, there was a deep sense of love and warmth and appreciation that permeated everything around us and into us. We were all, it was like we were inside somebody's house and it was warm and it was a happy place and everyone was having a great time. That's what it felt like. And there was no negativity whatsoever. Um, And what did people look like initially? I met my great-grandparents, my father's, uh, both sets of great-grandparents on my father's side. And um, they were dressed in clothing that looked like the early 1900s. Their hair appeared to be from the early 1900s. Um, They didn't particularly look old, like gray-haired to me. They might have been in their 30s, maybe 40s. That's what they look like. But I know that, um, well, my great-grandfather, Lett, he died when he was 50. So he would have been the youngest one of the great-grandparents to die. And then all the others lived well into their 70s and 80s. So they were quite old when they died, but they didn't look that way to me. Um, so initially I was pretty much surrounded by family. There, there were some other people that came to greet me that knew my father, like through a friendship or some sort of association. Um, my existence up there was associated with my father. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really have much of a past history cause I was only eight. But so everything was pretty much focused on my family and my father and people that knew my father were the ones that came to say hello. Hmm. um, Yeah. So I, as I mentioned before, I think a few of them were some school teachers that knew my dad. Um, And I met relatives that I, I didn't even know existed. Um. And then after all that, then I was met by a loving mother type entity. Now she was different. She was, she had a concentration of love in her that made me like her immediately. I didn't really have to be introduced to her. She was just immediately somebody that I knew I could trust and love. Um, And I think kids, in a way, younger kids, they respond to people that way somewhat. I mean, if I remember as a child that if I came across somebody who was kind of gruff and mean, I mean back on earth, if I came across somebody who was kind of gruff and mean or bad mood or whatever, I could sense it and I I would avoid them. Up there, there was none of that. Everyone I met was just very nice, but this... 
this female entity that, that came to greet me and I was told she was special and I was told she was coming for me. Um, oh my goodness, the love that she had in her was wonderful. It just, I loved being around her. And then she asked my permission to take me because she said, I have some things to show you. And uh, <clears throat> my one great grandmother uh, told me I should go with her, that it would be okay. So I did. But she, this, excuse me, this woman did ask me if it'd be okay if she took me, and I said, okay. So, um, yeah, and then after she got me away from my family, then I just sort of transformed into a little kid again. I mean, a small child, like a toddler. Mm -hmm. And she led me by the hand, and then she carried me like I was an infant. And um, she changed form quite a lot. She wasn't always in the form of a person. Sometimes she glowed and she was like a silhouette. And then other times she did look like a person. It went back and forth. Um, and why she changed all the time, I don't know. Um, and she was with me right before I was sent back to earth. And she was the one that told me I had to make a decision. Will I stay in heaven or will I go home? back to earth. Um, and during that period when she was helping me decide whether I should stay or go, um, then she had a very solid human form and she looked very much like a grandmother. Hmm. Um, I saw her features even more than I did Jesus um, because she did introduce me to Jesus. She said, he's my son. So I must have been with mother Mary or at least she wanted me to think it was Mother Mary. Hmm. But I have no doubts. Um, yeah, I'm pretty okay with that. <laughs> Did she ever identify herself as Mother Mary? No. no. The only indication, I, solid indication I have is when she said, this is my son, hmm. and you may have been told his name is Jesus. Oh, okay. So I don't see how I could say this isn't, Mother Mary, um, unless it was God in the form of a woman. Mm. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I can't understand why God would do that, but right. You know, who knows? <laughs> um, no, I believe it was Mother Mary. She acted very much like a mother to me. Um, and then while I was up in heaven, um, and I was being shown around. Uh, Mother gave me a, a tour of heaven and showed me many things. That One time I saw a choir, and I walked through kind of like a hall where they were singing beautiful music, some of the best voices I've ever heard, some of the best music I've ever heard. Um, at another time, I was, I was shown an image of the Bible, and the pages were flipping, and a voice was describing um, entries in the Bible. Some, some of it was described as accurate. Some of it I was told was wrong or misunderstood. Um, I, was, I was shown the eternal knowledge. It was like another barrier I went through. And heaven is filled with absolute knowledge. 
Um, so I went through a barrier and I was allowed to float free in that space, but I was shown all kinds of knowledge and wisdom and answers to every question you could ever ask. Um, I can't remember most of it. <laughs> so unfortunately, when near-death people are sent back to earth, we're often, I don't know what it is about being down here, but uh, we lose um, all that knowledge that we're exposed to. We lo lose an awful lot of it. Um, do you remember then? Any, uh, uh, do you remember any uh, parts of the Bible as you mentioned that were misunderstood? The very beginning, Adam and Eve. I was told that. Um, well, let's just put it this way: I don't really remember the specific words, but deep down inside, I believe the uh, the original sin is not correct. Um, I don't believe the notion that uh, humanity made a mistake back then in the beginning mm -hmm. and we're suffering from that sin for all eternity. Mm -hmm. No. Why would God put us here on this earth and tell us we all have to hang our heads in shame for all eternity to pay for this sin? That doesn't jive with me. I was told just the opposite. Up in heaven, I was told we are loved. We are appreciated. Uh, we are supported. Uh, no mistake will not be um, will not be held against us. That we make mistakes, but as long as we acknowledge God, um, we are loved. That's what I was told. But I was told a very important thing. Never forget that God is my father. Never forget hmm. that things will happen down here on earth that will be tempted to say that God doesn't exist and to never do that is what I was told. Um, so I, I will tell your I will tell your audience that's listening tonight. I did listen to a previous interview you, you did with PM Atwater, and. Um, she talked about um, children um, having knowledge and um, having a connection and having a hard time sometimes relating to their parents after near death. Mm -hmm. I went through the very same thing. Mm -hmm. There came a point in my childhood when I had to admit or I had to tell myself just to save myself, God is my real father. Mom and dad are doing the best they can, and I love them. But God is my real father. Mm -hmm. And if I really want to be loved, that's where I'm going to have to find it. Yeah, and I had to come to grips with that, and it, it was hard. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a hard thing for a child to deal with, but that's the way it was. Yeah, I think she mentioned that those children did not bond very well with their parents. Yeah, I always... I always held back something in reserve. I mean, I respected them. I honored them. When they told me to do something, I did it. Mm -hmm. But I saw them making mistakes, and I would just tell myself, oh, my goodness, you know, this isn't right or that isn't right. 
Um, but rather than raise a stink about it, I often just turned the other way and mm-hmm. just shook my head. And there were times when they were horribly wrong in regards to me mm-hmm. and what I was thinking and doing. I had a good childhood and mm-hmm. I was loved and I was supported and taken care of. Was it mama the one that gave you the future visions of the U.S. or was it somebody else? Okay, well, look, do you want to get, just get into the opening of the visions and how it happened? If you like, yeah. Shall we do that part? Yeah. Okay. So in the previous session, I talked at length about how Mother showed me the history of my family and, and whatnot and all the generations. So after all that took place, then Mother took me on a tour of heaven, and part of that was the vision of the Bible and the choir the endless knowledge. Uh, She took me to another place and it was like a room and it was very large. And when we entered it, I observed or I noticed there was a very large, it looked like a machine. It was very intricate and it was a a globe and it was a model of the earth. Hmm. And it was large and it sat up on a pedestal and I could, saw, I could see streaks of light going around it, uh, yellowish streaks of light going around it, almost like a magnetic grid. And there were entities standing around it who were maintaining this thing. Hmm. And I haven't shared this before, but the pedestal that the globe sat up on, it's almost like there were controls and buttons Um, around the base that they could touch, that they had access to. So this is the part that it it almost sounds a little bit science fiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was about, if I remember, about three entities, but one stood out. And this entity was larger, taller, seemed to be in control, the others... She worked with the other, it was a female. She worked with the other entities, but she was in control. And mother brought me to her and there was a brief introduction. And uh, mother said, talk to this person, I guess you could say. Uh, Talk to her and um, she will tell you about this globe, about this machine. And so she, she, this entity, she almost looked like a monk. She was tall and slender. Mm-hmm. I don't remember much of a face. I don't really remember eyes, but I know she had some. But her face was dark and hooded. She had like a hood like a monk would wear. And I remember the color brown or dark, whatever it was. But she was nice, but she was very much a teacher. Um, and so she treated me much like a teacher would talk to a child and or an instructor. And she was told to do things, and that was what she was determined to do. But she was nice about it. Um, and I was comfortable with her. Um, but what I got out of her was that I was real curious about this machine or this globe because I loved machines. I was very mechanically minded when I was a child. I was always 
taking machines apart, broken things, you know, mm-hmm. and playing with them and trying to figure out how they worked. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that sort of stuff. So I wanted to know what this machine was for. What? Why is it here? And um, I was, the basic description I got was it was like a time capsule. It was associated with time. Hmm. That um, using this machine, I could travel forward in time. I could travel back in time. And that every event happening on Earth was stored here and could be viewed. Um, So I I was curious about the past, and I was shown some things in the past. And uh, it looked like I was shown an ancient city. Looked like something you would see or described in the Bible, um, an old city with lots of mud and brick, uh, straw, um, animals like donkeys, um, people wearing tunics, um, sandals, you know, that sort of thing, carts being pulled by animals. And I saw like a parade and people being very happy and it was like a celebration. But nothing was really said about the city. I wasn't told where it was, what was going on there, but it looked like a celebration. And I, I kind of lost interest in it pretty quick. I I was like, wow, this is all really nice. Okay, so I can see the past. I couldn't think of anything specific in the past I wanted to see. So... Um, Somehow this teacher entity got through to my head that I could see myself where I fit in in this globe. Where do I fit in in this big scheme of things? Mm-hmm. Um, and then somehow the future was mentioned. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, um, can you show me where I live or where I was born, where, where I fit in? And I was, I believe I was told in order to see that we'll have to show you the future. Hmm. So then just like when they showed me this ancient city, then it was like a vision opened up and it was in front of me. Then I could see a vision of the earth as if I was floating over it, like I was a bird. And she pointed down on into a, onto the United States, almost exactly where I was born. She said, I remember her when she, she was looking and when she found it, she goes there, that's where you are. You, you are right here. This is where you were born. Mm -hmm. And she pointed to it. And then the vision opened up and then I started seeing things. Mm -hmm. Um, And the very first thing that I saw was um, a line of cars driving slowly through a city and people were lined up and waving and very happy again, like a parade. But then suddenly the cars sped up like something terrible had happened. I wasn't sure what it was, Mm -hmm. but something terrible had happened. And then the cars sped off quickly and then people were crying and in disbelief and sad. It was like I was standing on the ground and I could look around and I could see people. And they were very upset. Somehow I knew that I had witnessed uh, JFK being shot. Mm. Um, That was the very first thing they showed me. Mm. Um, 
but I, my near death took place um, about a week, a week and a half before he was shot. Oh. Um, I entered the hospital. <clears throat> I forget the exact day. I used to have it, but it seems like it was the first week of November. It seems like he was shot like the 15th, maybe. I can't remember the exact date. Uh-huh. But um, he was shot after I was back in the room and I was back on earth. Mm. So I was told that um, if you go back to earth, this is one of the first things um, that will happen um, in your timeline. Or I guess I was told like, if you will witness, but you, you will experience, or you will know about this. It's kind of hard to put it into words. Mm-hmm. Um in other words, I, I was told it was part of my timeline that it would happen. And I had a hard time with it because I knew that my family really appreciated JFK. Uh, they really thought he was a great president. They really liked him. And I think it was mostly because he was so positive. He was eloquent and he was positive. And he gave the country direction he he was a very positive influence and um like opportunities when he spoke there were opportunities and people liked that so yeah i I had a real hard time when when i realized that jfk was i was told he was going to die i was no i just couldn't accept that at first Mm. and i remember asking questions about it and it was like there was a brief extension to the past, what brought us to this assassination. Mm. And it's like, when I, even when I was a little kid, one of the things I remember hearing or saying, or actually thinking, was one of the worst things that happened to the United States was that we won World War II the way we did. We took it too far it got into our heads. We were the victors. The victory thing got into our heads. And as a result, too many people took it too far and they got arrogant. Now, back in the 40s and 50s, it wasn't so bad. Uh, Perhaps with McCarthyism, it got pretty ugly. But... um, one of the worst things, I, I still believe that to this day, that we were a humble nation during the Depression. We were we were humble and humiliated because of the Depression. Um, but we were good, honest people then for the most part. The war, World War II, brought out a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. And then... When it was over, it was a great thing, but the killing continued. We didn't stop. Our armies, it wasn't just us, though. It was other countries. Armies were fired up. They had a lot of guns. What do you do with all that? Well, you use them. You don't melt your guns down. You expand your armies. And that's what we did. So we ended up going to Korea. 
and that wasn't good. Uh, we got paranoid about communism. That was another thing I remember was that that wasn't good. Um, okay, I better get off my soapbox here. <laughs> um, so beyond the JFK thing, then I remember I remember the visions speeding up quite fast. I remember seeing other wars, other conflicts. I remember seeing fighting in the streets. I, I believe the civil rights demonstrations of the 60s. I saw some of that, but it fast forwarded very fast. They wanted me to skip all that and jump to an event they, they told me would take place later in my life. And the very first thing I was shown had to do with the Supreme Court building. Hmm. And so I've, so everything slowed down and stopped, and then it focused on the front of the Supreme Court with the pillars and the steps leading up to it. And I was told, toward the end of your life, when you are older, if you return to Earth, a very important event will happen here that will trigger further events that will lead up to um, a lot of disruption and chaos in your country. So I started talking publicly about my um, near death in uh, 2015. And at about the same time that I started talking about it publicly, um, the Supreme Court passed legislation uh, that allowed same-sex marriage. And I saw it when that event took place, I saw it as the event that I was warned about, that this event will trigger uh, chaos and disruption. I wasn't told it was a wrong ruling. Mm -hmm. I was told that there were people in our country who would reject the ruling and would cause a lot of chaos. Right. So, so who do you think those people are? Yeah. Interesting that you... Fundamentalist. You pull it out to a ruling by the Supreme Court. I was thinking it would be, you know, like something physically happened to the building or something, and that's what caused the chaos. No, I was told that uh, the government would make a ruling or make a decision in this building that would trigger uh, a lot of anger in certain groups of people that it would start to cause a lot of turmoil in our country. That was the beginning. And I'm sticking to that. I've, I've read some feedback from some people who, I don't know, I've done other videos and I've had people make comments about, Oh, Ken doesn't know what he's talking about. It probably has to do with uh, abortion or, you know, something like that. Now, I'm very aware of the fundamentalist churches. Uh, I'm not a fan. They've based a lot of their power and influence in politics off the backs of homosexuals or anybody who, who um, lives a, a life, a type of life, a sexual life that they don't approve of mm -hmm. based on their interpretation of the Bible. 
and um, they've been they've been standing on the necks of gay people for a long, long time. Mm. I it started way back in the eighties mm. that I can recall, mm. probably before that. And uh, it left me feeling really ashamed and appalled that a church organization would do that. Uh, because the God I met and I felt that I know, I know that I know, uh, does not hate homosexuals. Mm. They are his children. Right. And who are we to say that homosexuals are sinners more than people who beg for money to fund a church? Or how about a church that begs for money and uses the power and influence they've gained to influence politics in God's name? What about that sin? Mm -hmm. Uh, So what was the chain reaction? They need to get off the backs. What was the chain reaction that resulted from The chain reaction? Yeah. What was the end of that chain reaction that resulted from that ruling? That's the word. The ruling. The ruling. Yeah. I believe it was a more solidified um, effort to purposely influence if the Supreme Court, if the Supreme Court isn't going to do as we wish them to do, then we will take over the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. We will put people in that Supreme Court through our political channels to put people in there that we approve of that will rule in the way that we want them to rule. Right. And this, this is the fundamentalist thinking. Mm. Um, they're not going to give us what we want. We'll take it from them. Right. So that's not a very Christian attitude, but uh, I'm pretty sure that's, that was the end result. Mm. Um, <clears throat> Oh boy, there's going to be a lot of negative comments made about this. <laughs> no, that's okay. We may but here we go. Um, <clears throat> I was going to say it's okay. We may push some buttons here. May push some buttons. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think for the most part, near death people are pretty silent about certain things. Mm-hmm. Politics is one of them uh, because we don't really, as a whole, as a group, we don't really feel like. Influence in politics is really our call. Mm-hmm. But in my case, I was shown the future of the United States, and I was shown it for a reason. Hmm. So I kind of feel like I have an obligation to speak about it. Right. I don't care if people disagree with me. Um, it's okay. But just don't. Um, I just hope they don't attack the messenger I'm a messenger, so please don't attack the messenger in an effort to silence the message. Mm -hmm. Listen to the message, please. That's all I ask. So, okay, moving on. We better keep moving because there is quite a bit more to share. After the Supreme Court thing, then it moved on, um, and I was told specifically, almost word for word, I was told, Toward the end of the influence and power of your country, um, there will be an election. And then they showed me a vision of campaigning. And I saw a woman and a man, um, a woman giving a campaign speech, and she was running for president. Mm 
And I remember being surprised. And I asked the teacher entity, there's a woman running for president? Because in 1963, that had never been heard of. Mm-hmm. And um, I was told, yes, uh, but she may not win uh, because of uh, certain laws. But she may not win. Um, and so briefly, I was shown her uh, speaking to people in a loud voice. Uh, and uh, there was a man with her, and I was told the, the man that's with her uh, was another president. So, um, and then the woman's voice I recognized immediately when Hillary was running for president. Mm-hmm. Um, early in 2016, um, I recognized that voice. And it, so I was shown Hillary up in heaven. Mm. Um, and she was not portrayed to me as somebody that was going to be a problem at all. She actually was, I think if she was a problem or disagreeable or somebody that I should be warned about, I think she would have been presented to me that way, but she wasn't. So I'm pretty sure that had she won, she would have been considered up in heaven. She would have been considered perfectly okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she didn't win. And we all know that. Um, Then from there, um, I was told about storms Mm. And I saw the ocean churning. Uh, this this is all focused pretty much on the East Coast and the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, I saw the ocean east of east of the mainland churning, angry, in the middle of a storm. Uh, wind and rain was blowing past me, and I could hear the the rain was hissing. It was blowing so hard. Um, I saw a little boat trying to stay afloat in really big waves, struggling. Um, And then I showed, I was shown up and down the Eastern uh, coastline from up North all the way down through the Carolinas down uh, into Florida. And I was shown that there would be a a lot of damage down in Florida to get the worst of it. Um, And then like up toward more toward the middle of the main body of the nation, there would be a, a lot of damage there too. Uh, I was basically told there there would be an increase in storms. Hmm. And then I was shown people struggling to live, pockets of people struggling to live um, in groups all along the coastlines. Um, and whenever somebody would die, I was like a, a light, um, a person dying when they separate from their body, their spirit would separate and I'd see a light and then I'd see a streak of light leaving the earth. And that was a soul leaving a body, uh, taking his journey toward heaven. Um, I saw that happening a lot. Pockets of lights, uh, wherever people were congregated and a lot of people were dying all at once. Hmm. Now it's possible that, I had the impression that all that was taking place because of storms. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I don't remember being told anything about sickness, but, you know, along the East Coast where there's a lot more population than there is out here where I live in the Mideast, uh, 
Midwest, I should say, in the Midwest, uh, large cities, concentrations of population, um, wherever people are mingling together, there's pockets of people dying from COVID. So it's possible mm-hmm. that I, I saw, I was warned about sickness, but I just don't recall that specifically. Right. And I don't know that Florida is really any worse off than any other state, but perhaps they are. I don't know. But I saw a lot of people in Florida dying and flying up into heaven. Hmm. Um, Then from there, um, I saw a leader in our country who was very disruptive, and it was a man. And he got my attention because he was always arguing with somebody and he was never satisfied, never enough. He always had to have more. And if people would come to him with a solution, he would reject it and want something else. And um, a very disagreeable man. Um, And I remember him, I don't remember his face, but I remember him having blonde hair. Mm. I'm pretty sure it was Donald Trump. Mm. A very disagreeable man. Always angry. Always disruptive. Always causing people frustration. Um, And then I saw demonstrations in the street because of him. And I asked who this man was, and and I was told he was the president. Um, So I I was shocked at at the way he acted. Um, So I I asked, um, how did this man become our president after after I observed a lot of his antics and his ways? I asked how he became our president, and that's when I was shown specifically... um, the fundamentalist churches in the southeast hmm. portion, south hmm. southeastern portions of our country. I was shown. I was shown that um, first. I was shown the Bible again, and I saw it was almost like a bar graph <laughs> flowing down through the pages of the Bible, and it was dividing and going down and dividing and going down. And it was like channels and the different directions humanity would take throughout history. So I saw the early divisions and then it got much, much more complex. And then eventually some of it shot off and landed over in old Europe. And then I I could look and I could see a vision of Europe in the old days. Um, and the early formation of the Catholic Church. But it wasn't just Catholic. There were other churches too, but predominantly Catholic. And I saw those churches developing. And then I was told that um, these churches, um, people that belonged to these churches would eventually migrate to the United States and they would bring their religion with them, their beliefs and um, their um Practices They would bring them with them, and they would bring them to the United States. Then they would establish churches in the United States. Those churches would eventually change and become more independent. And then, um, then it was described 
as independent churches. They didn't use the words fundamentalist or evangelist, but those words describe what I saw the best that I can describe. Mm -hmm. And I remember back in the early 1980s, uh, with the advent of Ronald Reagan, he pretty much sanctioned those churches and their political involvements. And um, I saw those churches just expand um, suddenly, building large complexes and schools, uh, centers, um, big buildings, uh, lavish places to live. Um, I saw them just grow. And that's pretty much what they did starting in the early 1980s. They did. I lived in Colorado in the early 1980s and down in Colorado Springs, for example, large buildings were suddenly constructed. And uh, all that money came from people sending them money because they begged for money through, um, I guess you call them tele, televangelists. Mm -hmm. They begged for money on TV. Mm -hmm. uh, they were on radio programs. They had their new networks through cable TV, and they would pretend that they could heal people. You know, I remember watching one show where they said they were healing this woman, and they kind of knocked her over, and then the preacher held up something that looked like, I don't know, floppy guts, like a piece of liver, as if he'd drawn it out of her body. And everybody was all excited like he'd healed her. We all know that was fake. Every bit of it was fake. And I've heard other near-death people say, if they're so good at healing people, how come they don't go to hospitals? Mm. They don't do that, do they? No. Well, anyway. Um, <clears throat> I was warned. To stay away from those churches. Were you warned about anything that hasn't come to pass yet? And if so, is there anything that we should be preparing for? Organized violence in the streets. Purposeful violence in the streets. Um, for political reasons. Um, I believe there are what I saw, there are groups of people who are determined to tear this country down. Um, but I don't think, I've never heard anything come from them that speaks of a plan for any kind of improvement. They only want to tear down what we have. That's all I've ever heard. I don't know of any plan that they have of making things better. Um, and even our current president with their idea of herd immunity. Uh, what's that based on? That's, that's nuts. Do you think that you were shown these things to show you what kind of personal suffering you would be going through if you came back? Oh boy, that's a, no, that's not something I've really pondered too much. Um, well, I saw my own death. And I believe it's years down the road yet. And it sure looked to me like it had something to do with a sickness of some kind. 
So it could be related to COVID or it could be something else. But by that time, um, everything outside looked like we'd been through a war. There were no trees. There was no grass. Uh, the land was all torn up. And when I died, I was in a tent with a lot of sick people. Um, so, yeah, I was shown my own death. And at that time, I looked very old and skinny and gnarly. <laughs> and I'm pretty... I'm pretty plump and happy right now, so I, it's not, it's not going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> um, but yeah, eventually um, we got off track a little bit. Are we having time constraints here by any chance? Um, we have about 15 minutes left. Okay, the very next event that I saw that I think will happen, I'm pretty sure will happen, because everything else I was shown up to this point has happened. Mm -hmm. um, I saw this angry president. I saw him very nervous in the Oval Office with another man. And he was very nervous, pacing around his desk, going out into the hall, expecting someone coming back to his office. And eventually, about three, maybe four men came to him. They looked like officials. And they remove him from the they remove him from the White House. Mm. They take him outside. And then from then on, he is no longer president. Mm. I saw that happening. Then I saw this same person, blonde hair, uh, leading a rally somewhere in uh, Washington, DC. Uh getting people riled up and urging people to fight, fight, fight. And then after that, I saw riots in the streets, chaos, people getting injured and hurt very bad. Um, but during one of those demonstrations, I saw that angry president uh, get very sick, struck by something. I saw him get like he was clutching his chest and then he got sucked into a dark tunnel and the tunnel was spinning and then whoop, and he just disappeared. Hmm. And the next thing I saw, he was in a bed in a hospital hmm. surrounded by family and I never saw him again. So those are the two things that I expect will be happening. Donald will be removed from office. He will incite violence he will urge followers to be destructive and then he will get sick and he'll pass away. That's what I expect to happen next. Then after that, the demonstrations um, get worse. And I saw demonstrations around a large building, uh, like a, a small skyscraper, uh, a small tower type building. Um, it's like a communication center of some kind. Um, I see people covertly running around the base of this tower trying to break in. They eventually do. And they get up inside and there's a bomb explosion. And it looked like inside this tower, there was, it was a TV studio because I saw 
um, a long counter with several chairs behind it, cables hanging down, lights hanging down. It looked like a TV studio. And I asked, I remember stopping and asking the uh, teacher entity, uh, why did these people do this? And because um, I, I thought what they were doing was very wrong, very destructive. And she told me, because they're being lied to, they believe lies. And they're being destructive um, against their own interests, basically, is the best way to put it. Uh, and then uh, from there, from there, I saw a large army developing in the western half of the United States, uh, getting organized and eventually working their way toward the East Coast. And there's a major war, uh, a lot of fighting a lot of destruction, hmm. a lot of people being killed. Um, and at times it was so intense, I had to turn away. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if in the middle of all that, something major like a natural disaster of some kind takes place because the fighting was so intense and the destruction was so intense. It, it could have been it, uh, an earthquake of some kind. <clears throat> going on at the very same time. Mm. But I saw our country being brought down to its knees. And then toward the end of the fighting, I saw a building. It was a long, drawn-out building. Well, it wasn't a tall building. It was maybe two stories, but it was a long building, and it looked like stone. It fortified. could have been a government building of some kind. Um, somewhere, uh, it looked like uh, Arkansas. It could be Louisiana. I'm just giving. I was. I'm just giving a general idea of what part of the country I saw it. Um, there's a battle being fought there, and again, I saw people being covert. But this time, the army breaks inside this building and destroys it and destroys the people who are in there. <clears throat> I got the impression it's like a command center of some kind. Hmm. And after that building is invaded and destroyed, the fighting kind of ends. It settles down. There's, there's still some fighting, but it's like that was like the last major event of the fighting of the war. And um, inside that building, I saw something um, not human, something very angry and large and evil. And the best way I can describe it is like a demon that it had influence over people inside that building. And it was driven out when the building was destroyed. But it didn't care because its work was done. It had caused all kinds of disruption and chaos and that's all I cared about. And then it was gone. It was laughing as it floated off. But, ah, boy, that, that struck me to the core when I saw that. I, It was so evil. It was so anti-life. It was like matter, anti-matter. Mm -hmm. It was the anti-humanity mm -hmm. is what it felt like. Mm. 
Then after that, the fighting settles down. I saw a lot of destructive, a lot of destruction had taken place. I saw a lot of remorse, a lot of people thinking that we fought this war for stupid reasons. And why did we do this? It's like people finally waking up. Mm-hmm. Um, war was over, and then there was an effort to rebuild and repair. But I got a strong impression that uh, there was a need, an understanding that our government needed to change, that our government was part of the problem. That's why all this took place. Hmm. So a rebuilding of the government needed to be taking place too. Hmm. Um, and then I saw some rebuilding and I saw things calming down, but then I saw disruption again. And then <clears throat> after that, I saw a very large explosion take place around Yellowstone, I believe. Hmm. And I don't know if it was a bomb or if it was the caldera, but it was large, a very large mushroom cloud. And at the base of the explosion, a ring of white that went completely across the continent and it wiped out all life as it went across. Mm, Wow. A very destructive explosion. So surely it reached up into Canada as well. I wasn't shown that specifically, but when you consider where it was located, it would have had to get up into Canada as well. Because I saw it reach, I saw that white ring reach all the way to the East Coast in the right. Atlantic Ocean. I'm not sure of the then word. It was quiet. I'm not sure of the word caldera. Maybe it means the same thing, but as far as I understand, there's a super volcano underneath that. Something. And when that thing blows, ash is going to blow for at least 500 miles. Right. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it was almost like I saw an, an, an angelic entity floating over the land right after that bomb. And it was almost like it was gathering up souls and helping them get up and away. It's almost what it felt like. Hmm. And then, um, and then it skipped again and I was shown humanity living in the United States again. And it looked like it was somewhere around the Carolinas, maybe Georgia, very close to the Atlantic ocean. And they look like natives, hmm. very simple people, um, but very spiritual, living very simple lives. And they're very happy people, very loving, very accepting, more aligned with the way God wants us to be, is the way they look to me. And I immediately recognized all the happiness and the goodness associated with these people. And then the the teacher entities told me, so you see, Ken, there is going to be a lot of chaos and a lot of destruction coming. Humanity will have to endure all this. But when it's over, things will be much better. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like, hang on. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. 
is the way it was put to me. Right. Makes sense. I mean, I initially was thinking, yeah. as I've mentioned to you before, that maybe they're just kind of giving you a preview and saying, if you want to go back, be prepared. Yeah, uh, that's true. Except um, right after I was shown all of that, Mother reached into my consciousness and erased a bunch of it because she, she told me that if you go back to Earth and you remember all this, your life is going to be very difficult, she said. Mm. But she said <clears throat> specifically, I don't want you to be a child and remember all this because if you become a prophet when you're a child, your life is going to be very difficult. Um, it's okay if you remember this when you're older, then you'll be able to deal with it. But if you remember all this when you're a child, um, I don't want you to suffer because of it. And so she reached into my consciousness and wiped out a bunch of it and told me that, but but she said, it will come back to you when you're older. And it did. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm still remembering details. It seems the more I talk about it, the more detail comes to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, you mentioned earlier with the main entity showing you the machine and everything, and there was two other entities. This is a question from the audience. Did you see any other entities? And if not, or if so, also, what is your opinion on things like extraterrestrials, Bigfoot, or any other kind of anomalous entities? Well, when I died... When I died during my birth, I I was taken to a place that was not worldly at all. But it was like another world. I mean, it wasn't like Earth. It was like another world. Um, I I have, it's real easy for me to believe that life exists in other places in the universe. It's not just us. We don't get to... God made us. We didn't make God. So if he could make us, and we really are pretty miraculous if you think about it. There's things about us that we're pretty intricate and pretty complex. And um, so why would he stop with just us? Yeah. Uh, there's, there's other life in the universe. There's got to be. And so... Yeah, um, I mentioned earlier that this vision of the, or this place where I saw this globe and it looked like a machine. It's easy for me to believe that those teachers or those beings that were maintaining that globe, they were not human. Mm. It would be real easy for me to accept that. I wasn't told that, but when I try to describe what they look like, I have a very vague memory of what they looked like because they had no features. Uh, They communicated with me just like a human would. What, what I do remember about the teacher entity was there was no emotion, no, no connection with humanity as far as um, understanding. It was very, she was very machine-like almost like if I tell you something, then you will know it and you will understand it. 
and she didn't expect any deviation whatsoever. It was a very straight line. I have something, I give you something, now you have it. And there was no question about it. Um, I wasn't allowed really to ask many questions, um, although I did. Um, it's, it's just hard to, <laughs> it's hard to explain. Um, there wasn't a lot of, I didn't get a strong sense of empathy from the teacher entity. I actually got a strong sense of these people down here on earth are really messing up hmm. is the way it felt to me. Um, that, yeah, and maybe that's why she showed me like back to world war two and then getting into Korea and, um, Oh, just, uh, and Trump, there was an attitude there. And it was, it was like, these are really ugly things. And uh, these, these things, humanity is going to have to get past all this because this is wrong. Mm -hmm. This is the way it looked to me. And when, when I was shown the fundamentalist churches, um, it was very clear, very clearly put to me. Speaking in the name of God to influence politics is about the biggest sin <laughs> they could ever commit. That is wrong, wrong, wrong. And then taking money to do that. Oh, yikes. It's just not right. Hmm. Where can we find your book and what is the title of it again? It's called A, A Child Goes to Heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be, it's only available in uh, paperback. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunately, it's, it's not cheap. It's an expensive book and mm -hmm. it's kind of out of my hands because of my publisher. Right. But I'm, I totally support my publisher. He's been mm -hmm. very good to me. Um, so the book can be found at uh, michellebooks.com. Yeah. M-I-S-H-A-E-L mm -hmm. books. Dot com mm -hmm. and it's we're into the second edition now um i really appreciate my publisher and he needs to know that uh because um uh, this second edition he's he's gone into several of the videos that i've done with other people too mm -hmm. and listened to the things that i've said he's taken notes apparently him and his partner david and uh they've added some things to uh my um description of the future apparently i haven't had a chance to read it yet oh, wow. so i i don't know what it says <laughs> oh, wow. but um, yeah the second edition is is uh will be out fairly soon oh great do you have a facebook page and if so are you a public or a private person in facebook i'm pretty private because um i like to reserve that uh for family and close friends mm -hmm. I, I have accepted friendships from a few people, but uh -huh. um, the best way to contact me in social media, if, if you wish, is um, uh, in uh, Twitter. So it's at Ken underscore Let, and Let is spelled L-E-T-H. Right. And uh, if you send me messages there or uh, want to follow me, you know, that 
be greatly appreciated. I'm I'm not really into building up a following. I don't I don't really want to be a prophet, uh, mm-hmm. but yet I'm sort of in those shoes. <laughs> right. So. You know, Do you sell autographs? If I can share something that helps people, I will. Mm. Go ahead. Do you sell autographed versions of your book? I haven't. I nobody's really asked me to. Hmm. Um, sales haven't been real strong, so I'm not making a ton of money, and neither is my publisher. Right. Um, but uh, if somebody were to uh, buy a book and request a signature, I the only way I can see having that happen is to mail it to a. I could have it mailed to an address that I could pick it up and sign it and mail it back. I suppose. Right. I've I've just not had anybody do that with me. All right, Ken. Well, before we wrap it up here, uh, is there one last message you want to give to everyone? Be kind to one another. Be nice. Don't get to the point where you want to hurt somebody just because they don't believe your politics. I'm just like, come on, we don't have to fight. I think we're not right. I think humanity, especially here in the United States, we're right on the cusp of elevating into a higher spiritual existence. There's a lot of us that are ready. I don't want others to pull us down and stop us from doing that. I, if you don't have plans for the future, if you don't have plans for making things better, then why in the heck, heck would you have plans for destroying what you see? Yeah. It's just not smart. So, you know, think twice before you pull that trigger, before you hurt somebody. Think twice. There's consequences. And if you hurt somebody, you will pay for it when it's your time to go. You will pay for it. Hmm. You'll, you'll feel their suffering and their pain. And you'll have to answer for it. So please don't do that. <laughs> and that's all I have really to say. All right, Ken. Well, thank you very much for coming on again. I wish you a happy new year. And I hope that you have an amazing 2021. Yes, you too, Jeff. Mm-hmm. I enjoy being interviewed by you. You're, you're pretty cool. Oh, well, thank you. I enjoy having you. My heyday was back in the 1970s. And I can see you and me, mm-hmm. somebody's living room, sharing a joint drinking a beer, having a good old time. Yeah, <laughs> Those days are over for me, but you know. I was going to say those days are pretty much over for me as well. Well, you get married and settle down and that's the end of it, you know. Yeah. All right, Kim. Well, thanks again and have a great evening. So long, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.